This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Wednesday, March 2nd. I'm Robert Mays. Fun show for you guys today. We're going to continue with our series talking to some of our athletic team writers about the most interesting teams, the teams that kind of control the 2022 offseason. We chatted today with Bo Wolf, one of our Eagles writers, and Matt Schneidman, our Packers writer. Those teams might be in the market for quarterbacks. We don't know who their quarterbacks are going to be. Hard to do this exercise without both of those. Really enjoyed those two conversations. Before we get to that, though, I am very excited to welcome my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I, I, we were separated for a couple weeks, and we're right back together. We're, we're putting up, we need to go to the Northeast now. So we can put the pins up on a map, and now it holds up. Well, we're going to be in Vegas for the draft. Vegas so for the draft. So we are, we are crisscrossing the United States here. <laughs> so we are at Radio Row at the Indianapolis, in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. It's funny that you and I are here doing this together yeah. because independent of working together, you and I have spent so much time in this city <laughs> at this event together as friends over the yep. last decade or so. And... It's kind of bittersweet because this is the first time we're doing this together, and it's probably the last combine in Indianapolis. That is, oh my! Isn't God. that weird? That is weird to think about. I actually was just kind of like humble bragging to my wife. I was like, "Man, I actually know this city pretty well." Like it was muscle memory. This is my thirteenth one of these. Oh my goodness! Thirteen. I've, I've done seven, and I've been here two other times separately. And it's like, yeah, and that's how it felt. I, I walked by. And like it was muscle memory getting to the convention center. I put in my Google Maps. So I was like, I don't need this. Oh, you definitely yeah, don't I was need like, that. I, you know I what everything hard is. Hard right turn, hard left turn. Here I am. I'm at the convention center. No, I know. And that's what's kind of funny. It's like walking by, you know, a little shuffleboard and walking by the train station and all the other spots that we've met up uh, over the years. This is a different one. We, so it's funny because the schedule has changed. Yes. So now that the GM and coach conversations and interviews are happening, the, their press conferences are happening on Tuesday, everyone was here on Monday. Mm-hmm. It used to happen a little bit later in the week. And I remember I used to come in on Tuesdays yes. and no one was here on Tuesday. It was just like the low level scouts yep. were here on Tuesday. So I would get here and we would go to Kilroy's yep. on Tuesday and really, again, it was just like staffers were there and we would just play shuffleboard until like three in the morning yep. before the actual week would start. Yep. It was like the prelims. It yes. was like, it was yes. the setup. It was the calm before the storm. And it was actually, that's like the most fun day because it was just like, oh, it's chill. It's, it's, it's not relaxed. a scene yet. Yes. Last night it was already a scene. Okay. I'm, I'm right, ready for that. For those who don't know, I landed like an hour and a half ago. So this is like perfect. <laughs> so I, 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 I checked in the hotel and I was like, and he was like, Hey, let's go record. Perfect. We're doing it. So that's like, that's what's funny too, is that uh, before it was like, I had a whole day. It was hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. And now it's like, no, we're just going to go right into it. We're going to get right into the workouts. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell, like, everyone's, like, clock is going to be so weird with the night workouts. Yeah. Like, that is so strange because is, is this the second year they've done this or the third year? I can't I remember. I think it's the second year. Second and last year yeah. was the yeah. COVID year, so it was kind of, well, it was different. So this is very, very strange, I think, for everybody in this building how this whole ebb and flow is going to be. So you and I have say it was a deep history uh, as it relates to the Combine. The Combine as an event has changed in a lot of ways yes. over the last decade or so as we've been doing this. The way that they moved into prime time, but also the way that teams are treating it. Yeah. Think about the fact that the Jets coaching staff is not here. That came out today that Peter Schrager reported. 
the Rams coaching staff hasn't come in a couple different years. McVay has his like 18 hours at the combine that he does every single year, which is the envy of other coaches oh, around the league. Sure. By the way, <laughs> other coaches are pretty envious of Sean McVay's combine sure. time. The Niners coaching staff is not here. Teams are treating this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And not only are teams not coming to watch the workouts, the workouts themselves are being looked at a little bit differently. What on-field performance and how the drills ultimately play mm-hmm. into draft decisions are treated differently. So I wanted to do a little bit of a combine preview through the lens of what does still matter? What really does take hold? What are people paying attention to? If you're watching this with a scouting eye, what is still valuable about this event? So if you were taking a step back, you're putting on your your scout hat again here, you're back where in Atlanta, at wherever, <laughs> at the shuffleboard. It's 2012 again or 2013. Yeah. I guess in Atlanta, 2014. 14, yep. So we go back 20, let's say it's 2014. You got your, your Falcons cap on here. Yeah. What is still valuable to you? What are you watching? Are there more positions that are more important than others? Like, what are the different considerations that you're taking on as you're watching this event as a scout? I, I the the classic line is, "Oh, the medicals and interviews are the most important thing," which I'll just have to have to get off yes. the chest because yes. that is, and that's why the McVeighs and the Shanahan's and and Salas of the world are going. Hey, I'm getting the medicals. I can watch film, like, and the interviews are on Zoom, and the interviews can, are on you Zoom. You can watch the interviews happen exactly. Yes. So I get. It's kind of funny how. For years and years and years, coaches and execs would just go, well, the inter- it's just the interviews of medicals that matter. And then no one, like, actually did anything about it. They just still <laughs> kept going because maybe they wanted to play shuffleboard at Killer Rice. You know, like those types of things. To me, it's really a threshold test. It's We, we split hairs, and it's fun to say a guy ran a 4.28 or 4.32 or a guy jumped 11 feet and all that. But really, you're just looking for the outliers. And, and that's every position. Um, you'd also want to see, you know, maybe a guy – Wow, he just ran a four four flat. Man, he played like a four seven. What did I miss? Yeah. Am I missing it, or is that just the level of competition? Is that something I missed there? Any of those that just will flash on the good end or the bad end? Running back runs a four seven five, and it's yeah, like yes, these guys game the system. They are trained for these tests. They still matter though. Like they still. That's are just, why if you fall short of those thresholds, it's even more alarming. Yes. Because this is a test in so many different ways. If you don't hit a certain weight like you were supposed to, those to me are the more important considerations because so much time and effort and intentionality goes into this event. If you don't take the time and the care to show that you've invested in it, that should be a red flag for people. And that's, and I don't really want to get into this, but like, that's what like the drug test used to be at the combine. Everyone knew what the drug test was coming. It was more like an idiot test. Like, Hey, you knew. Get it out of your system. (laughs) This isn't a moral legislation (laughs) of whether marijuana should be illegal in the NFL or not. It's It's a you knew this was happening. You knew this was happening. You knew this was the biggest interview of your life, really, the biggest week, the biggest camp, whatever, however you want to put it. Same thing with the testing. It's everybody, uh, NFL, uh, we go over this. It's being consistent. It's week 14. Your team is not that good. You're, You're under 500. You're hurt. You're banged up. How do you run then? Here you have the perfect situation. You're wearing track shoes. You've been trained. You've been on your best diet you've probably ever been because you're a college kid eating Cheetos for dinner. Like, which Yeah, we, we ran our 40s barefoot the <laughs> night after you and I went to a meal together where I ate two baguettes as part of the meal. The not, ju- so good not just two baguettes. So my friend who loves that restaurant, oh God, the so restaurant good. is it's called Republique in Los Angeles, and my friend I loves that restaurant, and I told him that I went there. And he was like, oh, that, that that's great. And I was like, yeah, I ate two baguettes. He's like, why didn't you eat a meal? I was like, no, 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 no. no. I ate two baguettes and then I ate my meal. 
and then we ran the 40 the next day with no shoes on. With no shoes, pants on. Slightly I different preparation. Didn't stop sweating. I realized <laughs> I only had brought one undershirt for the entire week, so the rest of the week I had no undershirt because I had sweated in that one, so that was great. But no, that was, uh, yeah, that was a little bit different of experience. But then, again, we were able to run our, what, uh, blah, 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 six flat 40, but <laughs> for these guys, they have, they're this is the best day. Like they, everything's primed. They're stretched out. They've been massaged up for four weeks, and and then if you go out and run slow, it's like, oh boy, what are you going to yeah. do? When what are you gonna, what are you going to do when you're all banged up and everything isn't perfect? And that's really what it is. Like you said, it's a threshold test. It's a, it's I, I shouldn't say an idiot test, but it's an idiot test, or it's just a this is the best we're going to get out of you. We need to know what it is. They are changing the on-field drills for a lot of positions mm -hmm. though right what sense do you have of that do you know specifically what sort of tweaks that they made they're, uh, they're just uh making more ones more useful uh, shorter ones like there's offensive line drills where the guys are doing like shadow steps for like felt like 10 minutes and i was like is this a conditioning test or is yeah, this actually yeah, yeah. useful so i think really it's more shortening making it more pertinent to actually what they do um really it's just tweak it's drills everyone has done but i think they like before it almost seemed like a lot of these tests were conditioning tests yeah. it was like it was just i always thought it was kind of funny but i was like yeah that was 25 years ago probably when they first did these drills 30 years ago, it was to see if these guys are in shape and have been training. Now everybody has an agent. Now everybody's training. So it's a little different. So really it's just tightening down and maybe making some more of their uh, – I know I think some of the defensive drills, it's more like pertinent to what those positions are doing as far as like you're going to have an edge guy dropping into coverage and those types of things. In terms of the timed tests – are there ones that matter for some positions more than others? Like, I know you look at certain thresholds with the short shuttle for yep. offensive linemen. Yep. A lot of very good offensive linemen do well in the short shuttle yep. at every stage of the draft. Guys that were picked, Jason Kelsey, for example, yep. right? Charles Leno had a really good short shuttle time as a seventh-round pick. Yep. He's been a multi-year starter in the NFL. So which ones do you think are the most relevant and are the ones where if a guy does well, it's going to put off some alarm bells in your head? Uh, defensive tackle and 40 in a random way because the ones that run a freaky 40, and you can get into 10s and 20s, but I'm just going to say the sprint, <laughs> uh, the sprinting event, that's when you can go, oh, shit, like this guy ran a sub 4.8, like we... Okay, let's circle him. He might be undersized. He might be only 280, but man, look at it, you know, yeah. because the best of the best have done that. Um, Aaron Donald I, and his, what did he run? Uh, Aaron Donald ran like a 468. Yeah, yeah. Four, yeah, 468. And uh, for me, for edge guys, for defensive linemen, I really like to look at Broad and Three Cone. And, and it, this is just a offhand, I think it was a Reddit thread I came across years and years ago. And the guy had a threshold of 7'2", uh, three cone, and 9'9", broad jump. As kind of like, yes, it's not the end-all, be-all. There still are outliers that do well. I want to say like Joey Bosa didn't meet one of those. But it's like you're going to have a higher percentage to have a true sack guy on the edge if they can meet those two thresholds. So those two I always look at. And, and Joey Bosa's vertical was garbage. Vert, Joey Bosa, okay. had a, his vertical jump was in the 38th percentile. He did a 32 yeah. inch vertical. I remember he jumped in. He didn't jump as well as you thought. But his was. three cone was wild. I mean, it was like the, very, yeah, very, very, very good. And, 270 pounds. And so it's not an end all be all, but it's more like, hey, if I have a guy I'm looking in the first round and they don't meet those thresholds, okay, are we sure? Or is it like just barely okay? Or if they, hey, we got this guy in the middle rounds where you're like, and he meets those thresholds, a guy that, uh, that hit these thresholds was Max Crosby. He hit both of those. So a middle round guy that you're like, oh man, well, and he's a really good athletic tester. He's 40, blah, blah, blah. But three cone and broad for that position. And then the classics. You, uh, I actually won for a random one I like is uh, running backs and bench. 
because I just want to see how strong they are. Because yeah. these guys are supposed to be little pocket Hercules. A lot of them, not I should say pocket. Some of them are two thirty. Was a clip of Nick <laughs> Chubb repping out oh four eighty five on a squat rack this oh week. My, so at first I was like, oh yeah, I, I did. Oh man, that's more than I like more than I've a hundred pounds. No one around him. Yeah, just, just repping it out just, yeah, casually. Just hanging yeah. out. A little off season workout. Let's just rep out almost five hundred pounds. Yeah, but like those types of things. Uh, I'm trying to think some other. Oh, tight ends for me. Tight ends is this class. We'll get into it. Is an interesting class because there's a lot of third and fourth round types, mm-hmm. and tight end. I think more than any other position, like one of my theories for tight ends and picking a tight end, especially in the middle rounds, is just find the biggest athletic freak and just move on, and then just hopefully we can develop them. <laughs> oh, that's that's really what it's I've gotten. Not down the to. worst strategy. I know that's really what I've gone down to. So I think the combine for tight ends is always like one I really want to see because some of these guys they're all they're all listed the same six four two fifty. Okay, so are they actually six four and change? Are they six three? Are they do you have they short arms? They have long arms, and then how they run and how they do uh, all the other testing as well. Because tight end is a position more really one of the most important positions to be an athletic you know outlier. That twenty seventeen tight end class was the crazy testing tight end class. That was so, Johnu Smith. Oh yeah, George Kittle. Yep, like all those dudes. George Kittle ran a four five two at two hundred and forty seven pounds. And George Kittle went in the fourth round. And, George, and also 98th percentile broad jump for George Kittle. Exactly. Johnny Smith <laughs> ran a 4.62 at 250 pounds. 95th percentile broad jump. Like Those guys tested very, very yes. well. They were not first or second round picks. Yep. Pretty useful NFL players, exactly. both of those guys. Hopefully they can play just enough, and hopefully we have a coach that can get them onto the right path. And then, I mean, they... I mean, those are like perfect examples for what I'm saying because it's just – I don't know how these guys are run. Some of these guys, the longest route they run – I'll give you an example. This guy named Kate Otten from Washington. Really, really like him. I think he could be a good wide tight end. I don't think I've seen him run a route longer than like seven or eight yards just because of the <laughs> offense he's in. Yeah. So I don't know if he's athletic or not because that's just – he just catches and gets whacked. So it's like, you know, that's – it's just I don't know if – I've never seen him stride out and see and actually see how he runs. So you never know. That guy might run really well or he might run a 4.9 and you never know. All right. Let's dig into some of these positions. Full disclosure, I am not versed in the draft, okay? <laughs> it is March 1st. Like The NFL season ended two weeks ago. I have not been watching a lot of these guys. You have been, yep. as part of the scouting work that you're doing with Bleacher Report, you have been focusing on the quarterbacks and the skill position guys, which is going to dominate a lot of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys you like, we're going to talk about all of that. Let's start with the quarterbacks. This week and the quarterbacks, first thing that comes into your mind. Whew. I want, to, well, I want to see them all run, but I am sure when we say medicals and interviews, this interviews process for all of them is going to be yep. huge, especially when guys are trying to break ties. Oh, man, we, we both view this guy as a high second rounder, a middle second rounder. Okay, but one guy went on the board and he couldn't do any of it. Or one guy went on the board and acted like he's done that play 100 times and could talk out every single thing. Is it the end-all, be-all? No, but it does matter because some of these guys get so coached up. I think for quarterbacks more than anything, it's just the interviews. Like that is – we, and is it I'll, just the board stuff, or what other aspects to the interview process do you think are it's, worthwhile and it's, notable? It's a fun game to, to me, because I'm a psycho, uh, that, that's going on now as these players get coached up by agents. Hey, they're going to ask you these questions. You know, they got, the, they got their little crib notes on it. And then seeing what teams kind of poke and prod on that. Like you expected us to ask the question, do they try and challenge them, try and get them amped up? And I, I've seen that in interviews where they try to get the guy kind of like, frazzled and then how does he handle being frazzled how is he is he still able to answer all right we're gonna you know we're gonna say something like oh we're gonna bring up a bad play how does he handle that we're gonna bring up the bad moments and how does he handle that i think that's a big thing is kind of like un you want to be unflappable do you want to see that competitive streak i i think all the top quarterbacks are 
like psycho competitors, all the top athletes in general, but especially top quarterbacks. And we get fooled by it because they can, you know, the face of the franchise type. Ha ah, ha, how are you doing? They're all kind of psychotic, <laughs> psychotic competitors. I know Tom Brady's famous for it, Peyton Manning, all those, but all of them are. And I think that's the same thing as kind of like seeing the edge. Are they kind of like goofy, loosey? And it's like, uh, well, we don't really like that. Or is it on the flip side where it's like, okay, this guy's locked in and we're trying to joke around with him. He's like, he wants to nail this test. And then you have to have a threshold. Is that good or bad? Going, okay, this guy's too wired. Yeah, zero no personality. <laughs> no yeah. personality. But this is when going into the Justin Herbert draft, that was one of the things that I wish I could have been in those rooms to interview all these guys. Because that was the thing for him was that offense he played at Oregon was so limited. Okay, can he handle more mentally or are they trying to hide him? Because he can't the handle is yes. And the answer is way yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is they just were not creative and did not understand what they had back there. So I want to hit a couple different categories as yep. it relates to these positions. Who is the quarterback that you think when the on-field stuff starts is going to pop the most? Is going to be the one people are like, oh, shit. Whether it's where the ball comes out of his hands, how he's going to run. The guy who physically has a wow factor that you think is going to stand out, even if it's not the most important thing. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be Malik Willis. And which I this is his show. Uh, it's going to be this week. Is He's now been prepped up to throw these drills that he's going to do. Like one of the things with Malik is is that he is he's inconsistent. He's more of a, a bundle of tools than an actual like put together package, and that's what makes him exciting and also makes him freaking terrifying. Yeah, I um, I understand the kind of appeal of him because he has the strongest arm in this class, and he has he's the most athletic one, and he's built about two twenty and change. He's built like a legit smaller though, right? Six sure. one. Yeah, uh, yeah, six foot and change. Yeah. yeah, six one. I think six one max. I think uh, official height already. Uh, I actually have it right in front of me. Yeah, yeah, he's six foot six oh oh three, so six foot and a half um, official measurements, and that's what you got to remember is these shorter quarterbacks is that's seeing over the middle of the field, and that's actually what Malik struggles with a lot is seeing stuff develop between the hashes and seeing stuff. It, it's what we've talked about with Baker. It's what we've talked about with Russell Wilson. Seeing and then, but he has as opposed to like a Baker of the world, he has the. I wouldn't say rare athletic gifts, but excellent athletic gifts. If he comes into the league, he'll probably be the second best rusher behind Lamar at the quarterback position. Wow, yeah, because that's how that better than Kyler. Yeah, because he's big. Wow, that's impressive. That's, yeah. that is a statement. Yes, and it's he's up there too, and then Hertz is up there too. But he's more he's more dynamic than Hertz is. But the thing is, he's only six foot, and he's got the huge arm. And why he can throw such a good downfield ball is because he can see it as opposed to all this other stuff where he has to time it and all that. So that's his limitations aren't going to crop up this week because it's not him progressing on a play. It's not him, you know, actually having to read something out. It's him just running and him throwing. And he can run and throw really well. And I've heard that he's a great kid. So he's probably going to interview really well as well. So, but that's, he's going to be huge. Um, we're talking about on-field on testing, but him too is being on the board because he ran a really simple offense. And that's, again, is that just because what they run, or is that just because what he can handle? That's what you always have to figure out. And the other guys, their play style, just how, they, how they're going to look in these drills that you feel like is particularly intriguing to you. Um, Drill-wise, uh, no. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not, I'll, I'll be I'm really trying frank. to put some juice in this quarterback. I completely, I completely be frank. It's not a great class. Um, I'm very high on Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. I think he'll run a lot better than people realize. I think he'll... Uh, I think he's the second or third favorite to run the fastest 40 for the quarterbacks. Like he's going to be competing with Malik, but he's at, he's doing that 208, 210 pounds. And that's actually, that was actually a little worse. Stain in your voice. I know the sub 210 is so scary for me. And so I'm hoping it's okay. He had a long season. He's going to put some weight back on. Um, so I think him, 
the on-field stuff, really, I also wanted to see, like, testing-wise, there's this kid from, this is going to be so random, EJ Perry from Brown. I saw him at the Shrine Bowl, and apparently he's going to be a really good tester. So I want to watch, actually see, is that, like, oh, he's a good tester from Ivy League? Or is he, you know, a legit NFL, like, threshold where he's a good to great athlete? Um, a lot of these guys, too, like a Sam Howell um, from North Carolina, I really want to see him in drills because throws probably one of the best deep balls in the class. It, Malik has a stronger arm, but he throws a very, like, pretty arching deep ball. Can he do anything else? And a yeah. lot of these stuff, these are new receivers he might be working with. Okay, the best quarterbacks, you always have that excuse. Hey, I'm throwing to a new guy. The best ones, it doesn't freaking matter. They just put it on the money every single time. So I want to see that. Make with it these, rain out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see me? <laughs> and so I want to see that is – do they actually, like, that for a guy like Sam Howell, Corral's not thrown from Ole Miss, but Sam Howell, can he throw a timing-based route with a new receiver, just learn these types of routes, and actually see how he does it? Because that's really going to be one of the big question marks for him. Is there a quarterback in this group that you think has the most to prove this week, has the most kind of at stake, the most you want, somebody you really want to see something from, or the I, teams would want to see something I think from? Malik Willis a little bit, and I, I think that's just people trying to talk themselves into him. And I get it. Like, it, I, for, for Bleach Report, I have a third, uh, high third-round grade on him. And, you know, you give the inflation with the quarterbacks. I would take him in the middle second. We're kind of like where the those kind of Kaepernick Hertzies of the world have come out over the years. Like, that makes sense to me. Where Jordan Love probably should have gone. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And then you see more of these guys, you know, talking themselves into him in the first round. And I think that's why it's such a big week for him is now teams are going, all right, that's our guy. Is that the guy we're taking a chance on? In if he's the there at 30, yes. and do we make our play back up? Do we trade in? Yeah. yeah, all that type. And there, it's it's interesting. So I think I think for him, too, is going to be – and we talk, we're talking on-field testing. But I think for him, too, is just going to be on the board. It's just that's going to be a question that he's going to have to answer because it's going to be – it's not just one tier jump going from the SEC to the NFL. And there's, you know, defenses and all that. But now imagine going from Liberty – <laughs> to to the NFL. And yes, guys have come from North Dakota State. Guys have come from smaller schools and have done okay early on, Trey Lance notwithstanding. But it's this guy coming in. The offense that they ran was, as I mean, I'm telling you, it's just two routes, pick one. Three routes, all right, pick one. All right, for him, it was pick one, scramble. You can do that sometimes in the NFL, and we talk about go get a bucket. He can go get that bucket, but then you also have to hit those singles and doubles when they're there, <laughs> and that's going to be a question mark that people want to answer. Well, we're going to have a lot of time to dig on oh, that. Yeah. And just, the, again, the kind of the big-picture existential question of this quarterback oh, yeah. class. Let's get to the receivers. Who is the guy or a couple Ooh. guys that you think is going to pop the most with the on-field workouts? Oh, boy. There, this receiver class is sweet. <laughs> I'm very, very excited about this class. Um, I, I feel I, like somebody who, like is, – and when people are talking about the draft this time of year, it, they're talking about like a TV show that I yeah. don't watch. Yeah, where it sounds really fun, but I just I haven't gotten to it yet. That's You're how aware I feel right it. now. Yeah. Like it's a new season of something you used to watch. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's on Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard they're making a re- new Reno nine one one movie. Yeah, like, Chris, yeah. O- Chris Olave is like an HBO Max show that I just I haven't gotten there. Yet. <laughs> but you like the actor? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, like exactly. no, his other stuff has oh, been intriguing that... to me. Yeah. <laughs> James Gunn, I've heard of him. They, yeah, he directed uh, Suicide Squad, right? Uh, but that, I, I would say for me, the one I'm most interested, I would say, of any testing or anything is Drake London running the 40. And that's my receiver one. I, I, I'm a big fan of his just because it's the classic guy I like. He's a big ball winner, but he has more to him. And so I would say of any test. What's he going to Did he weigh in? Uh, he weighed, uh, they're estimating about 210, 215. And, but he hasn't weighed in yet uh, from what I've seen. 215 pounds? Yeah. How tall is he? Six four, six five. So he's skinnier than I thought he was. Then he's built more like T. Higgins. Interesting. Okay. Yep. 
I would say that's a he's built like T. Higgins as opposed to Evans. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. But I would say his game. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of his because I, I think he can. He's from USC, by the USC, way. USC, by the way, receiver that. from USC, Drake London. He bounced around the slot early in his career. Played. He was a basketball player at, at USC as well, and then this was his first full year playing, focusing just on football. And you would never guess that. I mean, you would guess that he had a basketball career because he's a ball winner. He can go up and snatch rebounds, but he plays physical. He's not like the classic basketball guy that they can high point balls and then as soon as they have to block, they get bowed over. Like he actually like will bring some physicality to position. He has more athleticism than I think people have given him credit for. But I really want to see what this forty is. I'm just curious. I think he runs in the mid four fives, high mid fives. Or four fives, and I, I just the haters all say, "Oh, he's gonna run like or haters." I should say the guys that don't like him say, "Oh, he's gonna run, he's gonna run a four six eight. And then the guys that like him go, "Oh, he'll be faster than he is." I think it's somewhere in the middle, as you always say. But I, I think Drake London, I, I'm a big fan of his game. I really do think he's a scheme proof type of talent, and and being inside and out, I think he the separation question marks that people have had about um, had with him, I think those are not as prevalent as I you would think when you watch the film because I thought his quarterbacks would throw the ball so short and so late that he would have to stop and come back for the ball so of course that's why there's lack of separation um other guys I'm really curious to see Ron Garrett Wilson um, from Ohio State has a lot of fans um I think he's more of a toolsy toolsy type guy than a complete receiver um I would say his upside is being like an Ayuk Wilson's like a slender more slender guy right I mean and that's kind of the interesting part about this class is that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of those like six two two twenty like rocked up dudes in this first round conversation. That's uh, yep. London London's the one like true true X, and then you get into it's that's why it's a really fun receiver class because there's so last year there's a lot more slot types, mm-hmm. a lot more gadget types. You know the Rondell Moore of the world, the Elijah Moore of the world, um, but here it's more what flavor do you like? You have Jameson Williams, who's he has a torn ACL, so he's not going to participate in everything, but he'll do interviews and stuff. But he's a he was a, like a legit low four three guy, and he plays that fast. Like he could take the top off. Jameson Williams from Alabama, by the way, I compare him to Deshaun Jackson because I no one else to compare him to because he's that dynamic on the deep ball and actually as a kind of has some more skill to him. He's not running, so it's going to be an interesting week. The other guy is Traylon Burks, so he's the guy that is the bigger body. That's the other big yeah. body. But what's funny is how they use him from at Arkansas. Arkansas. By yep, the way. from Arkansas. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I, I'm, we, we've gotten better during the season of going like that's an offensive guard for you know for the well, Bengals. With the draft stuff, I need to know, yes. so that's yes. why I'm more prone to doing it. Traylon Burks, he's a receiver from Arkansas, and he is a fascinating prospect uh, because they don't use him what you expect a six three, two hundred twenty pound guy to be used. They put him in the slot majority of the time they motion him on over probably it feels like over half their plays oh God, it, power slot but he's not not a phys, real physical blocker so oh, oh man the disappointment in your I voice know, i know so burks is the he's crept on my board i he's gonna end up probably receiver three i'm curious what he'll run really well like he is a smooth athlete i think he wears four x gloves like he is he, he's, he <laughs> looks he looks it's a he wears number 16 so bigger than kenny pickett's gloves yeah better, what you're saying. <laughs> kenny pickett might be a schmedium um but the, but with Burks, it's it's such an issue. He's such an interesting prospect. Like as I see the appeal of him, I really like him. But then it's, he, you know, the little dog, big dog meme. You know, yeah, like yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, big dog is trailing Burks with the ball in his hands, or he's going to be the target of the play. Then the little dog is trailing Burks when he's not the target of the play. Like he kind of just hangs out, which is your least favorite thing. It is with receivers, and I'm again, it's one of these he, interviews are being important for him. Is it? Because they just tagged him on the play and they say, "Hey, you're not getting the ball here. Take it below." Because they give him so much to do. I mean, they seriously put him on a jet sweep like every other play. It's it's kind of funny. 
Um, but that's what he's just an interesting project, and I think he his upside is probably better than anyone. I see some people comparing him to AJ Brown. I kind of AJ Brown. I felt like had more receiver to him, mm-hmm. but I get it. He's a big athletic dude that can snatch the ball and take any ball and just run. And he's really smooth. So curious how he tests and everything. Again, this is a really fun class. Um, yeah, but the Ohio State guys, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, like them both. I'm more of a fan of Olave. He's my receiver too. I compared him to Calvin Ridley. I think he's just – I think wherever he goes, he's just going to be a plug-and-play guy. Like his upside might, might not be the other of these, other of these guys – but he is, at worst, I think, going to be a good number two. He and, is, based on everything that I have heard, he is the guy I'm most excited to watch. Yeah. Based he's, on my... He's a baller. <laughs> based on my tastes as like yeah. what I like in receivers, yep. my, I think that that is... People have said as much that he's going to be the guy I enjoy the Oh, most. you're going to love him. Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly... I know. That's actually kind of fun. I could kind of like go like, hey, you're going to like this guy. I did that for uh, Seth Galina from PFF because he likes he likes baby-armed quarterbacks that are really smart. And I'm like, the complete <laughs> opposite. So Bailey Zappi from uh, Western, Western Kentucky, I was like, hey, you're going to like this guy. He's like, got it. I got it. I know exactly what you mean. Um, but these... The other guy that I really like to have a first-round grade on is Jahan Dotson. Uh, he's a receiver from Penn State. He's undersized. I, I he measure or he was listed at one eighty-four. He's probably about buck eighty. He's probably about five ten, but he is a complete receiver. He is a really good route runner. He has great hands, like probably some of the best hands in the class. He has he's five ten and change, but he plays like he's six two and like just his catching range and all that. Um, I think he's a three-level guy. He can take the top off. I actually really like him if you went with the Chargers. Like, but he and he's like a later first. I think he'll end up dropping out of the first round, but it's not because of anything he does. It's just a small, <laughs> and I think that's the one difference with him. But I think he's just such a skilled and talented player. Is there a guy that you think maybe a little bit further down the board that's just going to run a crazy forty? Is going to be the the guy that we're going to be talking about? Oh play? man, yeah. The the guy that's getting a little bit of hype is Calvin Austin from Memphis, mm-hmm. and but he's about one hundred and sixty-five pounds. <laughs> And, and I don't think I don't know how we keep talking ourselves into these guys every single Tutu year. Two well one in the second round. So. I, yeah, I, not my board he was, <laughs> but same kind of thing. But Calvin Awesome is even more. Uh, he's a better football player than Tutu was, but he is. I mean, he's tiny. He's five set. He measured in already at five seven, um, one seventy three. Like he is a tiny player. He wants to be six four. Like he tries to block guys up. Like he'll sprint out of safety and bow up on them and they just like okay and they kind of push him away so <laughs> you appreciate his, you appreciate that he'll i think he'll run a crazy 40 because he came he went to memphis as a track player gotcha and then ended up being uh ended up being a receiver um i think he'll have a, a really good testing uh, it's just that he's smaller like i said a random guy that i think will have a really good testing is alec pierce from cincinnati um and i I would say stumbled upon to him. Cincinnati had a lot more fun players than you would think defensively and offensively. It makes sense. They went undefeated the last two yeah. years. No, they really, really rose up the ranks. Um, I think with Alec Pierce, Alec Pierce was a volleyball player in high school. All of his family were athletes. I actually think he went to the high school that Matt Bowen from ESPN coaches at. Oh, nice. So, and I, I Chicago guy. Yeah. So he is, and he bounced around. They moved him like his freshman year. They redshirted him. They wanted to try him at linebacker, and then they put him back at receiver. He was like a special teams ace. And then last year they finally was, hey, you're a receiver. Look good. Got hurt. Then he finally played receiver this year. But he is all of six two. I think yeah, he's almost six three. Almost measuring at the Senior Bowl. Almost six three. About two ten. Ball winner type, straight line speed. He got better as a route runner even as this year went along because he just doesn't have a lot of reps. 
And I think, though, he'll test like crazy. Like, I think he'll be like a 42-inch vert guy, which uh, I don't think anyone's expecting right now. Very quickly, running backs or tight ends, two yep. or three guys that you feel like you're really watching and you think could pop over the next week yeah. or so. One, oh, one last guy, one last receiver I do want to mention is Justin Ross from Clemson. His medicals are going to be huge based on what he is, but that dude's going to be a steal for somebody. Um, maybe the Bears in like the second-ish round. But, yeah, that's, that's somebody I would really circle is Justin Ross. Tight end-wise, a late watch for me is this guy named Greg Dolchich from UCLA. Um, right now he's my tight end too. I think he's going to blow up this testing right now. He can run like a deer. <laughs> he, he measured at the senior bowl, uh, just under six, four, about two fifty. He like, uh, in that chip Kelly, UCLA offense, they run Y over a hundred million times and just different varieties. They'll split them out and run like a deep curl with him. They run these overs and he just pulls away from everybody. Um, I, I, he had decent, uh, decently long arms over 33 inch arms, I believe at the senior bowl, which I, is really big to me at tight end position. He wants to block. I compared him to Jared cook, which is, really, which is a random comparison, but he's high, high cut. You know, he tries to block sometimes doesn't have that leverage. So that's a guy I think he, he'll, he'll have a really good combine. I think he'll just keep rising up boards. Uh, a guy that I, I've liked over the years, um, cause he's just, I feel like he's been at Ohio state for 40 years, uh, is Jeremy Ruckert. And I think cause of him. And I think the classic line I think I've seen a thousand people say is he's going to be a better pro than college player just because of how Ohio State uses their tight ends. Uh, but as far as like being a complete three down wide tight end, able to block and run decent routes and create a little bit after the catch, like he's a nice little intriguing package. That's the interesting about this tight end class. The highest I think any of these guys will go is the end of the second, but there might be like seven of them. Interesting, like okay. going going from end of second to middle fourth. Like there might be a big chunk of these guys. Those two, I'm really excited to see run, see exactly how they time up. Um, there's other little project types. Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina will probably have a good combine uh, right now. And then uh, there's uh, uh, other ones that I have up there is Kate Odden. I already mentioned him. Um, Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin got to get a Badger in there, but just some good wide tight ends as opposed to like. Eh, receivers but useful players the guys that are going to be really useful pros that drafted in that yes you know let's say the 58th pick through the 85th pick like those types of guys guys that like okay maybe not that all pro type but guys that like oh they play for eight to ten years and they play you know 40 snaps a game and you like they finish a game with three catches you're like okay good three catches for 38 yards but it's like those guys play and they actually are tangible plus players so a lot of those types and i think that's what's gonna be interesting and then running back wise um, again, kind of the same thing. There's a, a lot in that kind of second 30 range. Not like the draft a couple of years ago with Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins and CEH, which were more like that late first, mid-second yep. types. I would say these guys are all a tier below those guys. Um, and that, that's Kenneth Walker, who I think will have a great combine. Michigan uh, State. Michigan State. Yes, I'll do better. Um, and uh, I'll just rattle these guys off. Brees Hall from Iowa State. Curious what he runs as well. The guy that I um, – Kind of has grown a little bit now. Uh, I've seen some boards that he's rised up, and he's my running back three right now. Is Tyler Algier from BYU? He's like a mini James Conner. Like I think that's a good way to put it. I want to see what he runs because I don't think he's like that slow. But if he breaks a four six, I'm all over him. Like, but if he runs slower than four six, okay, he's fine. But if he's better than four six, it's like, oh, you might have some too. Like you might actually be a real good player. Um, Jerome Ford from Cincinnati. Really liked him. Another Cincinnati skill guy. This guy has legit juice. They can go deep or deep. They take any play to to the house. I really like him. Um, and there's a couple other ones. Isaiah Spiller. Other people are higher on. And then another guy that uh, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M. <laughs> the other one that's gonna be, I think, is gonna be a, a great role player for a decade is Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. And I compare him to James White. 
think that's exactly what he is. Could be a great pass protecting back and a legit receiver. Naheem Hines like. Like he we're Ooh, man. Now oh, you're yeah. speaking my language. Oh, no. no, he's already tabbed as a T uh, athletic show all star. Like he's already circled. Like you're gonna love this guy. But his name's Kyron Williams. I have him as a third round grade, but I think he's gonna be an awesome, awesome player. All right. We're gonna have a lot of time to dig into all of these guys over the next two months considering free agency happens before the draft which the nfl schedule will never ever make sense to me all right if you guys want to hear more this kind of conversation a lot of the names that nate just rattled off please go listen to the combine preview that dane and lance did last week pretty much an extension of the chat that we just had please go listen to that i'm sure you guys will not be disappointed buddy it's very good to see you it It always is uh we'll be talking a lot here over the next couple of weeks, and uh, I'm excited to go play some shuffleboard later. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. As we continue to roll through some of our athletic writers and we break down some of the most interesting teams in the NFL this offseason, we could not do this without chatting with one of our Eagles writers. And here to do that is our good friend, Bo Wolf. Bo, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm worried you're going to roll through me. No, 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 no. There's just a lot of them. <laughs> we're going to do these in an efficient way, but in a way where we're still really digging in and getting the most yeah, out of, of these conversations. So when I was building the initial list of teams that I wanted to talk about as part of this exercise, I don't think you can do it without the Eagles for a bunch of different reasons. Obviously, they have three first-round picks. I went back and I looked at the order today. Not as exciting as it was in like oh, yeah. October when they had three top five, three top seven picks or whatever it was. Yeah, it's insane. Like the second half of the season is when, you know, the, the Dolphins reel off eight straight wins or whatever it is. It looks like they're going to be. The Colts like, were also terrible yeah, early on. The Colts on. were also yeah. terrible. So, uh, so, yeah. I mean, the Eagles were bad too. So, like, they went on a winning streak. The Dolphins went on a winning streak. So, yeah, the three, the three first round picks is still nice, but it's not as juicy as it looked. Back in October. I mean, you're looking at it right now. It's still 15, 16, and 19. It, it's not a bad situation. They still control the middle of the draft and in some ways control certain elements of the offseason because what you can do with those first-round picks, which I'm, I'm sure was part of Howie Roseman's calculus when he traded for them, you go a lot of different directions with that. So let's start with that in mind. It is March 1st, 2022. On September 1st of 2022, who do you think the Eagles starting quarterback is? Uh, I, I, I do out of 100 turkeys, and I would say <laughs> I have about 60 of those 100 turkeys on Jalen Hurts. That's not that many turkeys when you consider that uh, there are 100 possible turkeys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, they like Jalen Hurts. He did enough last year uh, for them to want to give him another chance. Everybody in the building loves him. Uh, he took a big step as a passer from year one to year two, and I think there's hope that he could maybe take a similar step from year two to year three. Are there specifics that they've talked about in regard to that? Have you asked anybody on the offensive staff? I'm curious where they think he took steps forward. Ball security in the pocket is okay. a big thing, and he was a big fumbler in year one, and he only had a couple bad <laughs> fumbles. Fumbler. He was. I mean, well, the Eagles are very familiar with big fumblers from Carson Wentz <laughs> to Jalen Hurts. Uh, he did a much better job protecting the ball in the pocket and just, like, keeping two hands on the ball in the pocket uh, throughout the, the progression. That was a big part of the, of the training camp, like – just the, the specifics of stuff they were working on. Uh, and I think that, like, Sirianni has said that he thinks that Hertz took a step forward in terms of his accuracy, like, over the course of the season. Um, he's not, like, the world's best passer. I think, I think we know that. But they found a way to build the offense around him. I still think that, like, they are, they are quarterback curious, right? Like, they are not fully committed. They're not putting a ring on it yet. That's the right way to put it. Uh, I mean, if they can get Russell Wilson, I think they would love to get Russell Wilson. Um, I think if they fell in love with one of the quarterbacks in the draft, You've got three first-round picks. You would certainly pull that trigger. 
Uh, I think they'll be like curious if any other like starting caliber quarterbacks shake loose. But I don't think they're interested in like a mediocre quarterback, like a like a Kirk Cousins or somebody like that. It just doesn't make any sense. It, nor should they be. I, right. And that's the nice situation that they're in is that you can survive and you can live with Jalen Hurts with no trepidation whatsoever. Right. It's only if the clear upgrade is there. So of those forty other turkeys, how many of them would you commit to Russell Wilson? Is he the most prominent? alternate turkey in your mind i think so i think so i mean and there's like you know there's a long history howie roseman like russell wilson is the one who got away in that was it 2012 draft 2012 uh you know they wanted russell wilson they wanted you know they say they wanted to pull the trigger on him in the second round they didn't the the seahawks take him they end up getting nick Foles, which worked who did out they draft in the second way. round that year uh vinnie curry vinnie curry's a good player yeah he's a good yeah, player yeah, yeah. Vinnie curry's a good was player. a good player i the, I don't know if you know this. Russell Wilson has had a better NFL career than Vinnie Curry. That is true, but yeah. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. So there you go. <laughs> I don't think it counts when he leaves and comes back. Don't tell that to Howie. <laughs> I mean, if he, if he hadn't been there in the first place, who's to say he would have come back? Uh, but yes, I mean, you know, the, the Eagles are what? One of uh, 31 teams who, who would like to say that they should have drafted Russell Wilson. But I think there is a, like a seriousness to they. he's like the one who got away. And, and, and Howie pointed to... The Jalen Hurts decision to draft Jalen Hurts, he pointed to the Russell Wilson thing as when you like a quarterback and you see him there in the second round, you should you should pull the trigger. That's what they learned. So uh, he's like a guy who Howie I think would like to close the loop on in a way. But you know, I'm not I'm not a Seahawks writer. I'm like, are the Seahawks really going to trade Russell Wilson at this point? So we had Charles Robinson on the show okay. earlier this week, and he was talking about that situation and the way that he presented it. The biggest deterrent to a team trading for Russell Wilson was price. And when the biggest deterrent is price, you only need one that's willing to pay. Yeah. And the, the Eagles are in such a unique position because they are the team where if you're looking at the resources they have, let's say the price tag starts with three first-round picks, guess what? Yeah. The Eagles have three first-round picks. And so it's funny because with their situation, the fact that they have three in the same draft, you can play out both timelines, right? So let's say they use those three first-round picks to draft three players, Hypothetically, let's say it's a pass catcher, a starting corner, and another back seven player. Does that seem reasonable? Uh, I You're, think they're uh, going to draft a pass line. rusher. Yeah. Defensive line. Yeah. Yes. All right. Fine. I would be shocked if they don't. Yeah. Fine. That's let's, okay. Let's yeah. say it's a defensive line. Let's say it's a defense, a pass rusher, a corner, and pos- position X is the third one. Right. Those guys all are moderately good players. The draft goes well for them. Or those three first round picks turn into Russell Wilson. Which is the better situation for the Eagles? Well,. Where, I mean, when are the Eagles better? Right? Which version of the Eagles are better in that specific scenario? The question, like, the answer is, right, the 2022 Eagles are way better with Russell Wilson. The question that Howie Roseman has to answer is, are the 2024 and 2025 Eagles in better shape, like, long-term without Russell Wilson if, with those first-round picks? I mean, I think Howie's probably thinking, if I can get Russell Wilson for a reasonable price. What's you know, as you said, what's a reasonable price? Three first round picks. Maybe they'd send two this year and one next year, something like that. I think he probably would do it. I, I think, think you have to do it. I think Howie has always been a you know swing for the fences, uh, win this year kind of guy. But I also like you know Howie I have, knows he's a, a year away from being back on the other side of the building again. Well, that might be that might be so. I'm not so sure. But like I I, I don't know. I have questions. I guess about like fully committing to Russell Wilson. Uh, like, is there a start of a decline? Like, you know, are the weapons with the Eagles any better than they would be with, with the Seahawks? Well, they're certainly like, not no, better, right? They're different. They're different. Uh, the offensive line is better. 
Uh, so maybe you think that you convince yourself that you can keep him healthier because of that. Uh, you can like he won't get sacked as often as he does in Seattle. I think they love Russell Wilson, um, but like I am not all the way there. On I would definitely do it, just because like this team was four and eleven and four eleven and one a year ago. Like, are they really ready to uh, think of themselves as Super Bowl contenders? I don't know if you have to go that far. I don't know if you, it, that deal has to immediately make you a Super Bowl contender for it to be worth it. I think that let's think about it in three year increments. I think that if they trade for Russell Wilson right now, the next the next three years, that three year stretch for the Eagles is probably better than whatever they would do with those three first round picks. They are in a very unique position. Uh, yeah, I think to that's make. right. They are they, they are the one team that again, if the price is the biggest barrier here, they are in a very unique position where they're in a they're set up to pay that price and still not only survive but just kind of keep on going because of the way that they treated last offseason. Well, and you have to think about the rest of the construction of the roster, too, because you know part of the reason that the Eagles got into trouble in the first place was overvaluing their older core, right? You know, these guys who were 30 years old, they thought, like, let's run it back for one more year, and a bunch of those guys declined or got injured, and there are still some of those guys around. Like, if Jason Kelsey comes back for another year, he hasn't decided yet. Uh, if Fletcher, you know, Fletcher Cox is coming back, but he's a declining player. But if you think those guys are ready to be like as good as they can be for one more year and Russell Wilson comes in and maybe they are, you know, Super Bowl contenders, I'm sure that Howie Roseman is thinking he would he would do that. Well, let's even play it out a step further than that. I don't even think those guys necessarily need to be part of the equation. Let's do it to the 2023 Eagles, because the Eagles are a pretty unique, pretty interesting financial situation right now. If you look at a lot of those contracts, they're going to pay those contracts this year. They can't get out from under pretty much any of them. Right. In 2023, that calculus changes a little bit. That's right. So in 2023, if you're sitting there, let's say Jason Kelsey stays for the next two years in this argument, your offensive line is pretty much set. You have two, you know, your tackles are going to be there. You have Jason Kelsey back. You have Devontae Smith. You have Dallas Goddard. You have Russell Wilson. On the defensive side of the ball, you really have Darius Slay, Josh I mean, Darius Sweat. Slay two years from now. I mean, yeah, what, I mean, what is that? I, it is interesting. But it, they're, I think that they could have some flexibility next spring to kind of say, all right, this is when we can add some pieces, really make a push. And these are all the things that you have to take into account here. What's your timeline? What sort of prices are you paying? And I'm sure these are the conversations that, Howie Roseman and it's like almost like the uh, it's the Pulp Fiction meme with his front office at this point though right. <laughs> he has nobody that works with him anymore. Howie Roseman and the very new members of the Eagles front office, I'm sure these are the things that they're considering. Well, and that's also why let's say Russell Wilson is not available. Uh, that's why those three first round picks. Like I would be surprised if the Eagles make all three of those first round yes. picks. I think they would love to move at least one of those picks for a future first or at least a future second, something like that, so that they can. Give Jalen Hurts this, you know, one more year of a tryout and then be ready to pounce next year in the possibility that they could find another veteran starting quarterback or move up in what's supposed to be a better quarterback draft class. So let's go the other path here to go down the other timeline. The Russell Wilson trade or a quarterback trade does not happen. Jalen Hurts is the Eagles starting quarterback in week one of this year. What are the other things the Eagles need to do to this roster? When you think about what their season looked like last year and where they want to go, what are the next two or three things not quarterback related that they should be thinking about? Well, that's what's what's interesting about the Jalen Hurts conversation and like the decision that they have to make because like what does going all in on Jalen Hurts this year look like? It's like turning into the, you know, the first year of Lamar Jackson's offense with the Ravens, right? Like you got to build the offense around the running game. You probably add a running back in the middle rounds to complement Miles Sanders. 
you, you probably add some kind of, I mean, not that this is a, a big investment, but some kind of uh, blocking tight end. Uh, I think they, they need another wide receiver. I think they think internally that, like, Quez Watkins is a solid number two and they can get by there, but... Like then, what happens if Devontae Smith gets hurt? Like, let's let's be adults here. They need another <laughs> uh, wide, another starting caliber wide receiver. And then, like, what's really important is is I mean, the defensive line is like, supposed to be the backbone of the defense. They were like thirtieth, thirty first in sacks last sack rate last year. Uh, that's not good enough. Derek Barnett's going to be a free agent. He was a disappointment this season. Brandon Graham is coming off a, a season ending injury. They signed Josh Sweat to an extension, but. Like defensive end and getting pressure on the quarterback is like their number one priority, I think, fixing that this offseason. And then I, I, I sort of expect them to make some kind of splash at safety. Um, you know, they've got Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris both being free agents. My guess is they maybe bring one of those guys back. They have Marcus Epps, but I think they're going to sign some. I mean, this is a good free agent safety class. I think they're. It's always a good free agent safety class, and I think the Eagles are aware of that yeah. and have built their team with that in mind. Yes, and they have had like much more success doing that than drafting safeties. Um, so I think like they are very aware of that. Um, you know, I've got my eye on, on Justin Reed because he was a player the Eagles were very interested in in the pre-draft process. He's young. That sort of makes sense to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, gotta, they have to turn over three spots in the, in the secondary, uh, and they have, to fix, they have to fix the pass rush. That's really – I mean, that's their number one their number one operating procedure, I think. It was funny because when we were talking about the Eagles before last season, I, I was confounded by them. I wasn't sure what they wanted to be, what they were going to be. And, and I don't think they knew. They didn't know until halfway through the season. And now I still don't really know because there's, again, we have these two different paths that they could go down. Well, that's if, what I'm saying, right? Like, if, if you're really committing to Jalen Hurts, are you really committing to Jalen Hurts? And if you're not, then are you giving him the best chance to convince you, right? If you If you don't build the offense around what he brings to the table as a running quarterback, then what's the point of even giving him the chance, right? Because you're not seeing what could be the best version of him. And we talked about this during the season, and I think it's a really relevant conversation. What does that path and that plan do to your other offensive talent? What does that version of the offense do to Devontae Smith's development? Do you get the most out of Dallas Goddard if that's the way that you're playing? There are just so many different layers to the two ways they could treat this. And if it is the Jalen Hurts path, and we're just building on what the 2021 season looks like, what does the next step for that version of the Eagles look like? I really have no idea. And that's why they're so fascinating to me, because those picks and just them holding the cards that they hold right now, there's so many different ways that this just could, could spray. And it's also like a, from a team building perspective, it's an interesting conversation from like Howie Roseman's job because he always talks about, you know, my job is to get the guys for the coaching staff, right? But that can't be your only job because like you can't just get guys who are going to fit Jonathan Gannon's defense if there's a chance Jonathan Gannon gets a head coaching job next year and you're going to have to change defensive scheme, right? Uh, like it, that can't be the only job. And so part of his job is to build the roster so that it could be turnkey for whoever the next quarterback is, but also part of his job is to, to build the offense around Jalen Hurts for this season. So, I mean, those are, those, are, those are tough questions, tough dynamics about what his job are. Is there anything else Eagles-related that's been on your mind, just like the pressing questions that it's like, all right, this, this needs to be answered. This is one of the priorities this offseason. Uh, it's sort of the opposite of that. I feel like there's a lot of talk about the Eagles' like need interior offensive line help to like to replace Jason Kelsey eventually, and I feel like that's just that's just not true. Uh, even if he doesn't <laughs> come back, like they so they because they lost Brandon Brooks, but Brandon Brooks has played like 
three games the past yeah, two years. They they've, had really. a, they've had a bunch of guys like Isaac Sayamala could play center if they need. Landon Dickerson could play center if they need. One of those I mean, he two did guys, play center in college. Right. Like one of those two guys is probably the heir apparent. They've got a, a bunch of other guys who can start at guard between like Nate Herbig and Jack Driscoll and some of these other guys. Uh, Sua Opet, I have to shout out. But like that, that spot could be fixed in the middle rounds. You've got Jeff Stoutland who can turn like you or me, or probably you, into a starting caliber offensive lineman. What are you trying to say? I, I, you I'm played checking, offensive lineman. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I'm checking in at a gentleman's like 188 pounds right now. I'm not sure I'd be. I think Stout can mold you. <laughs> and that's, it's funny because you think about it, and, and theoretically, thinking about the offense, just the spots. There are a lot of spots that are filled. Like if Kelsey's back, right. the offensive line is pretty much set. Right. You have that one pass catcher spot you probably they need. need. It's like it's crazy to me that I mean they're not going to come out and say like we don't we need uh, a number two receiver, but like they need another receiver. Like, but if they go badly. get one, like let's say they go get one, and then you have that offensive stat or that offensive roster. If you drop a quarterback into it, it suddenly becomes really, really, really yeah. interesting, and I that can... it brings us back around. That's just why if I'm trying to look at the chessboard and how it's set up right now. They are the team that makes the most sense from a resources perspective, from a need perspective, and from a timeline perspective to go make a move like the Russell Wilson trip. Now, do you think there's any chance that Kyler goes? You think it's all just I think it's a lot positioning of positioning for the yeah. yeah, I think it's a lot of contract maneuvering for the most part. Because there's a guy, I mean, like with the offense they've already they're already running, give up they give up the picks for Kyler Murray, all of a sudden it looks a little bit different. I would be betting more turkeys on Russell Wilson at this point. Oh, as a, as a realistic possibility, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're Howie, like, what would you look into? I don't know. A lot of intrigue as it relates to the Eagles, and that is why we're chatting about them. Bullwolf, thank you very much, my friend. It is always good to talk with you. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. All right. I'm thrilled now to welcome our Packers writer at The Athletics, someone that we needed to chat with if we were going to talk about the most interesting NFL teams of the 2022 offseason. Matt Schneiman, thank you very much for doing this, my friend. good to me. see you. Needed me. We are, I'm here. I'm so glad we get to do all of these in person. Yes. I'm getting to meet so many people that I have never met before. I've met you many times, yes. but just other people who work for the company, which has been really nice. And like I mentioned, we cannot do this exercise without talking about the Packers because this is the first domino that has to fall mm-hmm. for the rest of the NFL offseason as David Hellman is way too loud while I'm trying to work over here. This is the the first domino that has to fall for the rest of the NFL offseason to kind of fall into place here. So what is your read on how this is ultimately going to play out and how it will impact how other teams have to search for their quarterback in the next two months? Yeah, I'd be stunned if Aaron Rodgers isn't with the Packers. Same. Do you think we're spending way too much time on this? I think so, and I think he loves it. He absolutely. I does. think he loves he it. Absolutely, he'll say, does. "Oh, I don't listen to any of the outside stuff, or I don't, I don't care about what anyone else says." He loves it. He put out that self gratitude post, which is fine. I'm not ratting on him for that. Gratitude is important. Gratitude right? is important. Yeah. Yeah. Then he goes on McAfee the next day, and he's like, "Oh, I don't know why people thought I was going to make <laughs> make some sort of decision. I thought I was just coming on here to chat." No, he knows exactly what he's doing. Listen. If you need one sign that he's coming back to Green Bay, Brian Gutekunst told beat reporters last week that the hiring of Tom Clements, who was the quarterback's coach, uh, offensive coordinator, and assistant head coach for the Packers from 26, 2006 to 2016. And I didn't a, realize it was that long. And a guy that Rodgers goes out of his way, unprompted, to praise for his development more times than I can count in, this is now my fourth year covering the team. He said... 
the hiring of him is an example of how Rodgers is more involved in the decision-making yeah. process for, for moves that directly affect his job. Aaron Rodgers is not telling the Packers to hire Tom Clements if he's not coming back. Aaron Rodgers does not tell Tom Clements, who was retired retired and 68 years old, to come out of retirement to come back to the Packers if he's not coming back. He doesn't tell his guy, his coach, to come back to the Packers to coach starting quarterback Jordan Love. Sure, Tom Clements came out of retirement to coach, quote-unquote, Josh Rosen, with Arizona a couple years ago, but he knew they were going to take a quarterback number one overall in Kyler Murray. He's coming back for Aaron Rodgers, and they both know that. I would imagine they're ironing out what the contract will look like, and we'll get all the news at once. Now, we're here in Indianapolis. I was thinking about going to camp outside Pat McAfee's studio a couple blocks away (laughs) to see if Aaron Rodgers showed up today. He did not, but I'd be stunned if he is not here and... Brian Gutekunst just told us that not one other general manager has approached him to see what it would cost to get Aaron Rodgers. I believe that might be because either they know he's staying or Gutekunst just isn't entertaining those offers because he knows he has no intention to trade him. So if it's about the other considerations, what are the other considerations? Retirement. I think that's the only one. I mean, with the contract stuff. Oh, with the contract stuff. I mean, obviously there's been talk about what he might want. In your mind, what does the contract have to look like? Is that an important part of this? Is it about him being the highest paid player in the league? What does the length look like? What are the different factors and details that Mm -hmm. are probably being ironed out right now as they figure this out? I would imagine they're deciding between two or three year extension. Now, he's still under contract for 2022. So this is a guy who has said spending time away from the team last offseason, you know, Quenched, not quenched. That's that's a bad bad word there. If if I knew how to use words, I'd be a writer. Um, alleviated his fear of retirement. He, he no longer has that fear. So how much longer does he want to play? He previously said he wanted to play well into his forties for the Packers. Now that he doesn't fear retirement, fear the unknown of what it would be like because he got that taste being away last off season. Does he maybe want to play for three more years instead of five, or two more years instead of four? Um, I could see a two-year extension for around $50 million fully guaranteed. That keeps him under contract through 2024. I mean, that would be pretty damn good for the Packers. Yeah, it would be. And people are saying, oh, he's 38. But guess what? He's the back-to-back MVP. He, he can play at this level or at, at worst a top five, top six quarterback level. So for why not the next three, four years? You mean two years at $50 million a year or two yeah. years $50 million total? No, 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 no. This is, Aaron Rodgers isn't taking a Tom Brady, I was, Drew Brees. I was confused. Deal. Okay, no, two years, that, fifty million a year. That makes a lot more sense. Okay, yeah. so let's say it's two years, and he's 50. and he's rightful. With with no offense to Greg Jennings, uh, Aaron Rodgers deserves that, and he should be asking for that. One hundred percent. So, if that's the deal, like let's say his cap hit in twenty twenty three is fifty million dollars. Where does that leave the Packers financially in terms of the other moves they now have to make mm-hmm. to pry open this window if 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers is going to be their quarterback? Well, down the line, 2024 cap could be an issue. But if we're talking about this year— Or even next year. Extending Aaron Rodgers for two years, you know, whatever it may be, $50 million a year, $46 million a year— that should free up about $11 million in cap this year if they extend him. His cap number is around $46 million right now. I believe it would lower it if they gave him that sort of extension to around $35. Um, right now, I believe they're about $28 million over the cap after they restructured Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, and Kenny Clark. Um, 
you know, in terms of the next domino to fall would be Devontae Adams. And if they franchise tag him, that's $20.12 million on the cap, fully guaranteed. But if they extend Devontae long-term, they could get his cap number down to as little as $9 million for this year. So that could be another 11 off off the cap. They could save around $20 million against the cap, almost get down to the cap number that they need to get below by March 16th uh, by extending their two best players. That and could, there are other lever, levers that they can pull, right? The Smiths... Cutting Zedaria Smith would free up about $15.4 million. Cutting Preston would free up about twelve point five, I believe it is. They're going to keep one of them. Um, I would expect it to be Preston. But listen, you, we've been doing this for long enough that we know, yes, the cap is important, but there are ways to get under it. And the Packers know what they're doing. They have people paid a lot of money to do that exact thing. So, yes, Aaron Rodgers is the first domino to fall, but I don't think it should hold up too many other things. It doesn't seem like it would. Correct me if I'm wrong about this. You said you covered the team for four years, and I've paid a lot of attention to the Packers for a while. They weren't a team that was always ready and willing to pull some of these financial levers. Right. The fact that they added two voidable years to Kenny Clark's deal, the fact that they're moving all of this money around and converting these bonuses and kind of saying this is a problem for future Brian Gutkunst is a new development for them as the way that they operate. What do you think is driving that? Do you think it's the window with Aaron Rodgers? Do you think it's kind of a new approach with the front office? What do you think are the most important factors involved in that sort of mindset and approach? I think it might be a little bit of both. I saw someone say on Twitter the other day, and and back when this happened, I was 14 years old, but um, if they had gone all in for the end of Brett Favre's career, they wouldn't have been able to afford their 2010 Super Bowl team and all the depth that came along on that team and helped them win a title. So, listen, you can say the same thing about about this time, but I, I think... It's a combination of uh, Aaron Rodgers obviously still has a lot left and they want to maximize that and they can't finish these 30-whatever years with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers saying we only won two Super Bowl titles with both of them. They need another Super Bowl title to consider his tenure and everyone else's tenure around Aaron Rodgers in the last 17 years a success. And they'll do whatever it takes to get it, even if it means you know screwing themselves over a little bit down the road. I do think maybe a little bit um, is I'm not saying Brian Gutekunst is trying to distance himself from the Ted Thompson regime. He obviously learned everything he knows about being a GM from Ted, pretty much. But we've seen it. Ted, Ted never really used to um, make in-season splashes or really even show interest in them. Like Devontae Adams tells us, who Ted drafted in 2014. He never really got his hopes up for big in-season trades or acquisitions or even interest in players. Even because, off-season acquisitions. Exactly, because he knew the Packers wouldn't do it. Brian Gutekunst's first off-season in charge, he signed Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, Billy Turner, and Adrian Amos. Yes. And this off-season, uh, or, or this season, I remember asking Devontae Adams, um, you know, you've said before that you don't get your hopes up for this kind of stuff in regards to the Odell Beckham Jr. rumors when that was happening. Uh but are you getting your hopes up for this? And Devontae was like, uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I can't help it. And, and like, I sense maybe a change a little bit in philosophy, maybe more of taking those big swings or at least considering them because the Packers know they're so close. They've been so close the last three years. And if they get through this stretch, it could be another one, two, three years, and they don't have a Super Bowl title, then that's a failure by the GM. That's a failure by the head coach. That's a failure by everyone involved. And they can't have that attached to their name. Cause like Brian Gutekunst told us last week, we're the green Bay Packers. And there comes along with that a 
uh, expectation that they have fallen short of the last three years that they can't fall short of again. It is funny that you think about the 2019 free agent class, just how different that felt in the moment. It's not that long ago. Not that long like, ago. This version of how they operate is still relatively new. And that's why, as I'm thinking about all of these moves, they're just doing shit the Saints would do. It still feels strange. Like Reconciling it in your mind with this franchise is still, there's a barrier there just because we haven't seen it that often before. The one notable, well, there are more than one notable, but the one big splash Ted Thompson made was signing Charles Woodson, which turned <laughs> out all right. Years ago, it was fifteen years ago. It turned out all right because um, that's something that Ted just didn't do, and I never covered him. But just talking to people who did cover him, that just wasn't his thing. And like Brian Gutekunst is at least showing the willingness to. And now sometimes it has played to his benefit that he didn't. Like in Week Six this season, Stephon Gilmore was on the trading block, and it turned out what the Panthers give up a sixth round pick, and everyone was like. Why didn't the Packers do that? Because Jair Alexander had just gone down, injured his shoulder against the Steelers, a bad injury. And Brian Gutekunst doesn't touch Stephon Gilmore and instead goes and picks up a guy named Rasul Douglas off the Cardinals practice squad to, for, as a depth piece. He doesn't play the first couple weeks. Instead, Isaac Yadam does, who, who they got in a trade from the Giants in the I was there the day he got for there. For Josh Jackson. Isaac Yadam is not a good cornerback. Against the Bears in week six, Isaac Yadam has a penalty and allows a touchdown on the first drive. Gets pulled for Rasul Douglas. Rasul Douglas never saw the bench again. So, yes, we can nitpick. You know, the Packers don't make these big splash moves here. And that's completely right. And they will acknowledge that that's not how they've traditionally done business and not traditionally thrown all their chips into a basket, which they're probably going to here in the next couple of weeks for Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. But at times it has worked out, you know, picking and choosing here. They didn't go for K.J. Wright in free agency. They went and signed Devondre Campbell for $2 million. He becomes a first-team All-Pro. They they go and get Rasul Douglas. He's getting votes for Pro Bowl. Like he had five interceptions in like seven games, a couple pick sixes. So there's a reason these guys get paid to be GMs and we don't. But it, it definitely has been a, a slight change in how they do business. So when we think about the dominoes that are going to fall, the Rogers domino, the Adams domino, and the money that they're going to free up, and you talk about, all right, they need to win one in order to make good on this. What does that look like? What are the three or four moves, in your opinion, as they consider the next steps this offseason that have to happen for this team to finally get over the hump? Well, it starts at the wide receiver position, I think. And people who say Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough weapons, that's silly. But he won't if their free agency class pans out how I think it will. Devontae Adams is going to be a Packer. Letting him walk in free agency, letting him hit free agency is a fireable offense especially considering the fact that there are plenty more teams who can entice Devontae with an offer that he wants more so than the Packers. They can just franchise tag him. He wouldn't want that. I know he doesn't want that. There is a 0% chance he's going to be a free Brian Gutekunst said last <laughs> week when we asked him, uh, is it possible he walks? He said, yeah, possibly. But guess what? There's a poss- it's, possi- it's possible that I walk outside in five seconds and get hit by a car, but I'm not going to do that. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. So Devontae Adams will be there. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a, is an unrestricted free agent. He might be around $8 million a year. I think that's too cheap for a guy whose per- production is so sporadic. Alan Lazard will probably be back on a second-round tender. But then who do you have after that? Like, Randall Cobb, cutting him would free up $6.8 million in cap. I, I would expect him to be back on a more cap-friendly deal. I don't think he'd be too eager to play anywhere but with Aaron Rodgers. 
Amari Rogers showed nothing last year. Equinemius St. Brown hasn't shown anything since joining the team in 2018. I think a wide receiver, a legitimate number two speedster, maybe a guy in the draft like Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, because I don't think they're going to be able to afford a top-end guy in free agency. Maybe they go and get a Sammy Watkins-type guy. I think you need a number two wide receiver. Second piece is a defensive lineman to go alongside Kenny Clark. Besides Kenny Clark, they haven't had anyone formidable the last couple of years. Like, they've cycled in and out Kingsley Kiki, Tyler Lancaster. Dean Lowry had a decent year. He had his best year last best year. Best year still. last year, but still, you need someone else. And then Especially the f- if you're going to have less depth in the edge. If you're gonna, right. I mean, obviously they dealt without Zedaria Smith this exactly. year. But if you're going to walk into the season and you're going to have Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and Shrug. Maybe Whitney Merciless. I mean, Whitney Merciless went down. Third thing is special teams. And they obviously hired Rich Passaccia. Um, and the interesting thing about Rich is, is, as Mike Sando noted in one of his recent stories for us, of the 14 teams that made the playoffs, the Raiders used the highest percentage of starters on special teams. The Packers used the fewest. That's it's, really interesting. It's, it's no, con- no, no coincidence that the worst special teams unit in the league, whose head coach said right after the season ended he, he would do studies around the league and consider using more starters on special teams because they don't. The, the Packers just throw, like, the fourth linebacker, the sixth wide receiver on special teams. What the Packers need to do, and this is the third thing, is get special teamers who can also play other positions, not guys who play posi- other positions who can also fill in on special teams. Like, I'm not saying they should get a Matthew Slater or an Anthony Levine, they, but they need specialists to play special teams. And, and that's huge because they got destroyed in all facets. Like, and it was just a microcosm of how their whole season went that they had 10 guys on the field to defend against Robbie Gould's game-winning field goal in the divisional round. Will that change under Rich Basaccia? I'm assuming so. Yes, A.J. Dillon did break his rib blocking on a kickoff return in the playoffs, and that is the downside of potentially using starters. But I don't think you can operate that way. Exactly. But you got to get more starters and more impact guys on special teams. So Rich Basaccia is a coach that came in. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of coaches that went out. And the Packers are now the latest example. It's just fascinating to me to look at the that, that tree of coaches, right? You look at what is happening with the Rams and has happened over the last five years. Matt LaFleur is a product of that. He was the offensive coordinator on that staff. He gets hired away, and you have to replace those guys. It's happening in San Francisco now for the first time where they're starting to lose those guys and there's attrition because people are chasing that system. Now it's come for the Packers. Yes. And Nathaniel Hackett is gone. Luke Getze is gone. There are promotions. There are things that are shuffling. But that brain drain is real. And it has a real effect on the way that teams operate, especially teams driven on offense like the Packers have been. Mm-hmm. What is your feel on the guys that have filled those roles, what that staff looks like, and how they're going to navigate that situation, which for them under this regime is pretty new? Well, the only real new guy on that offensive staff is Tom Clements, who we talked about. They pretty much promoted everywhere. I mean... Uh, the new offensive coordinator to fill Nathaniel Hackett's role is Adam Stenovich, who yeah. is their offensive line coach, who did, who's done a phenomenal job the last two years given all the injuries they've had to David Bakhtiari tore his ACL, Alan Jenkins tore his ACL, Billy Turner had a knee injury, Josh Myers, their starting center second-round pick, had a, a couple injuries this year and missed a, a large chunk of the season. Let's be clear. He 100% deserves the job. He deserved an offensive oh, yeah. coordinator role somewhere, somewhere yeah. based on the job that he had done. And, but now you have two guys... Your offensive line coach becoming your offensive coordinator, he was their run game coordinator, has a huge yep. hand in that, but the guy's responsible for 
your install meetings, right. the way that your passing game looks, all of those things. Those Luke guys Getzi, are now gone. Right. And then they promoted Jason Vrabel, their wide receivers coach, to their passing game coordinator. Um, and then Justin Outen, who was their tight ends coach, who had who had a, a role in their run game, is now the Broncos' offensive coordinator. So this they, is what happens. They promoted John Dunn to tight ends coach. Um, basically just promotions. Uh, I get the sense, obviously, we, we haven't talked to LaFleur since all those – well, we talked to him after the season, but um, – Since all the shuffling has Since happened. all the shuffling. Yeah. We talked to him tomorrow at 145, but he wants to keep it within house. He, he could have easily gone out and gotten, you know, guys who he's known from past stops, but he obviously wants to keep it in-house with guys that he knows, guys that know his system – Nathaniel Hackett tried to, it seems, get as many Packers coaches as possible over to Denver. Like, guys want to stick together with this system. And it is coming for the Packers. I can't imagine Matt LaFleur is happy about that because he got to kind of keep all his guys for a couple years. And as people tried to pry guys from McVay and Shanahan, you know, yeah, they took Robert Sala. He was an offensive guy. But, like, for the for the first couple of years, nobody – Nathaniel Hackett got the Falcons interview two years ago, but people, uh, I got the sense, kind of wanted to feel out if LaFleur really knew what was going on. There's also that constant conversation of, well, they have Rodgers. Exactly. I mean, and you don't and that's know always gonna, that's, that's There's always going to be that conversation. But that's, I mean, it's so interesting when you look at the different ways that teams have handled this because the Rams have handled it the opposite way. They go outside when these things tend to happen. Mm-hmm. They go look for people from different places. Kevin O'Connell is a perfect example, right? Kevin O'Connell wasn't just a low-level assistant that they continued to promote. Right. The Packers are going the opposite route. How does that end up working out? I have no idea. No idea. But this is... Like they promoted Luke Butkus from assistant offensive line coach to offensive line the coach. The most offensive line... I, he is the most off looking offensive line coach looking offensive line coach of all time. And his name is Luke Buckus. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. If you if you guys have not seen Luke Buckus, Nephew I highly Dick. encourage you to go look on the Packers coaching website and see what Luke Buckus looks like. You can also see Tom Clements in an old Packers polo that is his old staff photo that they just repurposed. He said, I'm not taking a new photo. Oh, just he's, put up my old one. When you're 68 years old and you've been retired for a you couple of years, you you're not taking photo. new photos. Nope. You are only working with Aaron Rodgers every single day. And I guess Tom Clements is the new voice in the room, right? Obviously, he's an old voice. Mm-hmm. But as it relates to this staff, because I think the question is always going to be, how do you balance continuity and you know communication, ease of communication. We know how we operate. We know how we can talk to each other with kind of germinating these things with new ideas. That's yeah. always the balance. And Tom Clements is the guy who can potentially bring a fresh voice to this, but he's also 70 years old. It is an old voice, yes. but a fresh one at the same time. Listen, we know both you and I have talked to Aaron Rodgers enough that he needs to be around people he respects and he knows. And that was obviously... In, I'm not saying he didn't respect Mike McCarthy, but at the end of that relationship, it was obviously something... Well, maybe he didn't. That was obviously something that dragged it down. It's no coincidence that um, he and Matt LaFleur are on extremely good terms. Rodgers is actually a former teammate of Adam Stenovich, who was in camp with the Packers back in Rodgers' rookie year, I believe. Um, now he brings Tom Clements back. At this point in his career, if Aaron Rodgers is going to keep advancing... He doesn't want to start from scratch with any coaches. Yeah. Like Tom Clements knows everything Aaron Rodgers has ever done in his life. If Aaron Rodgers has a new idea, 
Tom Clements knows how to implement it. And the, and the same goes for, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but when we talk about getting wide receivers, I wasn't here for the rookie years of Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, James Jones, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a, a track record of being extremely productive with rookies. They normally ease them in. Like he need, he, he has excelled with guys he's familiar with, guys he has years with, and like with Amari Rodgers. Amari Rodgers did nothing this year. We all thought he was going to come in and be the slot guy and maybe take snaps from Randall Cobb. You need to put in years with this guy for yeah. him for him to earn your trust. Devontae's wh- the best example. Whether I mean, the that's, fact that Devontae's whether that's the best receiver in the league now. Or a player. It's going to be hilarious when he retires in like three days and the Tom Clemens thing doesn't matter. There's, and how, how are you sleeping, no by the way? way? Oh, I'm sleeping fine. You doing okay? Because McAfee's show doesn't come on while I sleep. <laughs> I already, I, I'll tell you this. It, it was funny. You never know what he's going to do because I was told by a source that I won't name, but someone three days, four days, five days before camp started last year that Aaron Rodgers was not showing up. And they were steadfast in that belief. It was right after Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams simultaneously posted the Jordan and Pippen Instagram photos. Mm-hmm. And the question was, do they mean last year was the last dance or this year is the last dance? And I was told that it was last year. He did not plan to come back. And then things obviously escalated and uh, and came to fruition there. Deadline spur action. And... He dragged it out for as long as possible. He said he wouldn't do that this offseason. Um, and even if it seems like he's going to come back, he might retire. Even if it seems like he's going to retire with that Instagram post he posted, he might come back. The, the thing I've learned about Aaron Rodgers, you can guess whatever you want. You might be wrong. It's impossible to read the guy. And even if you have a good read, he might just be screwing with you on purpose. One of a kind. That man. And you. He pays my the bills. Yeah, he, he certainly does. He pays the bills. We'll all be paying attention because, as I mentioned, that domino is the first one to fall, and the rest of the NFL offseason is going to fall into place as the Packers situation does. Matt Schneidman, thank you very much for the time, my friend. Always good to chat with you. Thank I'm you. sure we will catch up very soon. Yes, sir. All right, guys. That's all we got today. Thank you so much to Matt. Thank you to Bo and always to Nate. Really appreciate you guys listening. We will be back tomorrow with some more athletic writers. We're going to have three. Other writers on. We're going to dig more into these teams that we feel like are going to define the 2022 offseason. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. We'd really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. A dollar a month for the next six months. Well, is that correct? A dollar a month for the next six months at theathletic.com slash football show. If you do not have an athletic subscription, now intrigue season free agency draft now is the time to go grab one so please do that if you have not as always guys really appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you soon this was the athletic football show